passionate for you and your word and passionate, Lord, to live a life free of sin. I ask that you'd be glorified this morning in everything that I say and do, Father. Move your people, Jesus. I ask you these things in your precious name. Amen. So, I have to, I have to, I want to start out this morning with a little bit of confession here um, about the topic that we're going to talk about. Um, the title of the sermon this morning is called The, the Two Trees in the Garden. And y'all, um, one of my favorite verses in the Bible is John 15, 5, where it talks about abiding in Christ, right? Apart from Christ, we can do nothing. And started studying that, though, the, the fruits of the Spirit, right? The fruits of the fruit in our life and how our life is supposed to bear this fruit. And kind of going through the Bible and everything, um, I was talking with a good friend of mine, and we were talking about Genesis, and we, we were talking about the, or I was talking about the tree, and he said, like, you know there was two trees in the garden, right? And I was like, what? You ever had one of those moments where you study and you miss it? And then someone tells you, and you're like almost embarrassed. You're like, how did I miss that? Like, I missed it. And so I, went, I literally went out to my car and grabbed my Bible, and I seen it, and I'm like, well, that rascal second tree, I didn't realize it was there. Anyway, and so God really opened up his word um, to me through that and revealed something to me that I really want to share this morning. And um, what this whole thing what this whole sermon that I want to wrap, wrap around this morning is, if it, let's say that both of these plants here represent those two trees. This is the tree of uh, knowledge of good and evil, and this is the tree of life. I still think today we still have a choice which tree we're going to choose from. And so to start all this out, everything starts with this word right here and ends with it. Let me give you guys some statistics before we jump in. Do you know a report that came out in April 2016 said only 3% teens read their Bibles? 3%. 26% of Americans read their Bible once a week. Now, we could do a lot of theological gymnastics back and forth about these statistics, right? This is what I want to say. The number one reasons Christians struggle with their freedom in Christ is because we don't spend enough time listening to God's promises. Did you hear what I said, church? We need to be reminded of God's victory in our life because Satan is a liar. And all he can do is lie to us. So, Genesis chapter 2, verse 9 says, In the middle of the garden, he placed the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Imagine with me for a moment, would you? To, to the best of your ability in your minds, God, in all his awesomeness with Adam and Eve, all this amazing fellowship that they have together, eternal life, no death, perfect harmony, and he places these two trees in the, in the middle of the garden. Can you, can you fathom that for a second? The beauty of how these trees looked, created by God. In the middle of the garden, complete fellowship, complete harmony with Adam and Eve. And God simply makes one statement, and he says this. Do not eat. He says, you may freely eat of the f- fruit of every tree in the garden, except the tree of knowledge of good and evil. If you eat of its fruit, you're sure to die. 
Now, what would Adam and Eve even begin to understand that why would God not be a man of his word or why would God not be a person of his word? He places all this stuff in there. He makes one statement. Listen, we don't know how many trees were in there. We, we, well, you we know he placed these, these two, but we don't know how awesome heaven was. I can only imagine one day how awesome it's going to be when we get to see it, when we get to be with Jesus. If you could just let your mind go there for a moment. And then he places this and he says, if you eat of that tree, you'll die. The minute that Adam and Eve partook of this tree, sin entered this world. The minute. Boom. Their eyes were opened. They were naked. They were ashamed. They hid from God. You know the story, right? And so, again, I'm sorry that I'm picking this one to be the bad one today, but as an analogy, this poor plant, but say if it was a tree, this tree, the knowledge of good and evil produced unbelief. Do you hear me, church? It produced unbelief. Watch, sin. Let me tell you where I get that from. First of all, let me say this. When they made that decision to go against God, they distrust, their distrust and denial of God's word, because listen, make no mistake about it, they did not believe what God said. They did not believe it, so they partook of it. And ever since then, distrust and denial of God's word always leads to depravity, and then it continues down a, a spiral until it leads to death. Please don't ever forget that. It, but it starts, notice, distrust and denial of God's word. Jesus came to take away the sin, the unbelief of the word world. Let me show you where I'm getting that. John 1.29, John says, Look, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin, the unbelief of the world. So in other words, listen, behold the Lamb of God which takes away the unbelief of the world. Notice, church, it's important that you see that we see that's a singular word. Now, when we go into Galatians here in a little bit, you're going to see a number of sins. If you go to Romans chapter 1, you'll see a plethora of sins. In fact, Paul says men will think up new ways to sin, new ways to unbelieve God. Listen, please get what I'm saying. There's a reason. All sin, every single sin that man has came up with comes back to one root, and it's this, unbelief. Not believing God. What separates man? From God, unbelief. What's the only thing that keeps man out of heaven? Unbelief. It all starts with unbelief. We must understand that. We, we don't need to make sin any more complex than it is. Please understand what I'm saying. There is a reason that John said, Behold the Lamb of God which takes away the sin in the world. If he removes the unbelief, then there is no other sins that, are, that we produce. Amen? But it all starts with sin, unbelief. And when we don't believe God, it's, it will show through our life, in the fruit of our life, the way we treat people. But it all starts with unbelief. So we could say this. This is a way to look at it. When we start sinning, this is what we're saying to God. God, I don't believe you. I don't believe what you say. See, God, I can do this and I'm going to be okay. Adam and Eve thought the same thing. They were gravely mistaken. 
All sin comes from unbelief. So the tree of knowledge of good and evil, what did it produce? Right here. Notice something, church. Exactly what God said in Genesis. Watch this. He said, you may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden, except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you're sure to die. God didn't say, perhaps you might. I'll think about it. Maybe so. You're sure to die. Notice what Paul says in the New Testament, Galatians 5, 19 through 21. When you follow your desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, divisions, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Watch what Paul says. Looks familiar. Let me tell you again, as I've said before. Or he could have said, let me tell you like God said in the beginning. That anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. There it is again. Old Testament, New Testament. What happens when we partake of the tree of knowledge of good and evil? Death. This tree produces that right there from us, listen, simply telling God, we don't believe you. We can live the way we want to live, God, because this, this is very today's theology. We can live the way we want to live because Jesus came and died on the cross. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. If I had a dollar for every time in ministering to young people, I have young people tell me that, that I misunderstand Jesus. No, you don't understand. Jesus came to die. Love. Love, 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 love. We are to love. Nowhere in the Bible did Jesus save someone and then tell them, now go and freely sin like you want to. Did he? When he showed compassion and helped people, what he said is this, now go sin no more. Go believe, go trust. That's what he was saying. And so, look, when we think of this tree, the minute that they chose and unbelief entered the world, there's just a list. Paul stops, but you go to Romans chapter 1, and he talks about this. And y'all, listen, if you open, let's think about this. Open the newspaper. When's the last time you opened a newspaper and you were like, a lot of good news in there? Or how about the news? How about the media in general, right? Every time we get on there, there's another story of drama, of hurt, and depression, right? It's a constant reminder that sin is rampant in our world. Amen? That's what that tree produces. That's the only thing that tree can produce. That tree right there is a representation of, of Satan. And listen to me. Satan can only do evil, wicked things. He's incapable of doing anything else. And here's how he attacks. This is how Satan attacks Christians. Number one, all of us, in spite of what we believe about ourselves, all of us have forms of wickedness in us. I'm sorry, I know that's not really good news. Jesus made it clear, apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing except sinful things, right? All of us have forms of wickedness. The second way he attacks us is through wounds, okay? Normally, those are past wounds. I'm going to elaborate on that for a minute. And then he attacks us through our own weakness. All of us have weaknesses. I believe that's why the Bible, that's why Jesus sent people out two by two, because he knew each one of those had certain weaknesses, all right? And they helped each other. What's the Bible say? What's the Bible say? Um, 
uh, confess your sins one to another that you can be what? Healed. What are other people for? To help each other. To be there for each other. Right? Because we're a body. My finger and my toe work together. Amen? We're to, we're to help each other. So, last one, warfare. Here's what I want you to note. Wounds, past hurts, and warfare, Satan loves those two. Let me elaborate. Give you some examples, and I'm going to give you a, I'm going to give you a, a, um, a personal testimony here that um, it's, it's not, definitely not something I like to broadcast out before hundred or so people. But I want to make my point clear how Satan's a liar and how he works. So let, let, me, let, me, give you, let me give you an example. Let, let me say, let me see if this resonates with anybody in your life or something like this. So, so watch this. Somebody hurts you. You lose a spouse. You lose a child. Okay? There's a deep hurt. Someone cheats you. Watch. Watch how the liar works. You start to move forward. And in his warfare, he starts telling you this. Hey, if God loved you, he'd have never let your spouse die. If God loved you, if God was a really loving God, he would never let that happen to your child. If God was a loving God, he would have never let this person rob you. If God was this, if God was, see how it works? And then that pain, because it's so real and we've experienced it, we don't forget what that feels like. And so it challenges us about God's goodness. Because remember in the garden, what did Satan try to do? Challenge his goodness. He's got one way, y'all, of working. He's a liar. Okay? Jesus said this about Satan. He said he was a liar from the beginning and there is no truth in him. That means this. He has 0% truth in him. He's a sorry, rotten, lying chump who's going to be destroyed in the end. And any chance I get to share that with y'all, I'm going to. Because he gets his up on me enough of my life to make me sick. Amen? I can't stand him. I can't wait till God devours him. I can't wait till he crushes him. I can't wait till we all see it because victory is ours. We're going to get the last say. Amen? But in the meantime, while we tarry for God to come, we need to know how he works. This is how he attacks. He attacks through old wounds. So, for example, I've shared this with you guys before. My stepfather abused my sisters and I. Okay? Um... There's kids in here, so I'll just, you know where I'm going? In ways that you shouldn't, inappropriate, all right? To this day at 44, Satan still lies to me about that sin. Now, y'all, the last time I came here and preached was in October. Aaron called me. Uh, we were emailing, and Greg, Greg knows I'm notorious for being late with emails, which I'm sorry, brother. Thank God for him. But he was like, is everything okay? You know, and I got back with him, and then Aaron called me. And I told him I just got back from South Carolina. He's like, you know, do you want to pass? And I was like, no, I, I really want to preach. You know, it, I just, I want to do it. Well, what he didn't know, and I've been able to share this with him, and he's been able to, to pray with me and minister to me, is this. When we went home this summer, we were there for two weeks because my wife's mom had lost her battle with cancer. And she passed away on a Monday. Well, on Wednesday that week, I found myself in downtown Charlotte, North Carolina. We had, we had just 
um, Pam's mom had just passed away, and we were getting ready to say our goodbyes to her. And then I go 30 miles away in Charlotte, and I watched my dad get arrested for indecent liberties with a minor. That was my summer. I'm so looking forward to 2017. That was my summer. That was my reality. I watched my wife go through this, and then I watched telling my grandchildren about their, my children about their grandfather. And let me tell you how Satan keeps chasing me about that, okay? He keeps reminding me about my past, and then he keeps telling me this, your dad has no hope, young man. Your dad is irredeemable. There is no hope for his soul. If your dad's like that, you must be like that. You see how he works? You see how Satan works? He takes past wounds, and he takes his lion, and he attaches to him, and attacks us, and tells us that God doesn't love us, or God isn't good. I'm here to tell y'all today, right now, there is hope for my father. I'm here to tell you this. God is still a good God. In spite of what we do, it has not wavered the way I feel about him or his goodness. My God is a God of redemption and restoration. And Satan, I want to say it one more time, as many times as I can fit this in today, he's a stinking liar. When sin is left un, when it's left without root or taking out, when it's left and it begins to grow inside of us. Look, when we, when we ignore it and we start to stray, and, and this, this so happened, this, is, this happened to my dad, this happened in his life, he ignored it, and it ha- what happened is it grew down, and what happens with sin is sin roots. And this is, a, this is an acrostic that uh, God gave me through this whole process, and it's this. You see, you see the tree on the outside. You see how it's flourishing and growing, but look underneath it how wide and deep those roots go. See, this is, what, this is how unbelief gets in our life is Satan starts lying to us and we start believing those lies and believing those lies and they grow deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and then we start straying away from God and straying away from God and then all of a sudden, listen, we become the person that we are not. We, we start living like the old person that we were because sin roots. What do you mean by sin roots? I'm glad you asked. It's this. Watch this. When sin roots, the first thing that gets affected is our relationships. Do you know I've never seen a Christian struggling with sin that's able to manage his relationships with people without there being some kind of problem? Because sin just affects relationships. It starts to destroy them. Do you know, y'all, my poor stepmom in this situation, her daughter won't have anything to do with her because she won't give up on my dad. Destroyed her relationship. It's her only daughter. See how sin's ugly and nasty? Destroys relationships. The next thing is we become oversensitive. If anybody's ever ran into an oversensitive Christian, Lord help you. (laughs) Everybody's out there like this. Amen. Everybody's ran into an oversensitive Christian. Do you know why Christians become oversensitive? Because it's a defense mechanism to divert their sin off on you. And, they, and listen, legalism loves oversensitive Christians. 
They will quote scriptures like, and listen, they're not living them one iota. But they're not going to give you a chance to breathe. They'll step on your throat because, listen, if you happen to get close to them, you'll find out they're hurting. And you know what they're afraid of? Exposure because they're afraid they're going to be judged. Listen, that also is a lie of Satan. God's people should be the most forgiving and loving people there are because that's the way our God is. Oversensitive. Then it leads to oppressive. We become oppressive. We start oppressing people. We do. Because, listen, you can't be oppressed by sin and treat someone else a different way. You just can't. And that oppression ultimately leads to being tormented. <laughs> I, I, I laugh a little bit, y'all, because when I think about this, I can tell you I have never seen a Christian come into church as long as I've been a believer and high-five me and say, man, I'm sinning like crazy. Woo! and high five. Never seen it. If I ever seen it, I would be like, brother, sister, I'm not sure you know who Jesus is. I've never seen it. I've never seen a happy, sinful Christian. They can't be happy because the spirit of God inside them chastises them over their sin. They're not going to be happy. Listen, that's, that's a good thing. That lets you know that the spirit's inside working in you. God's not going to let his kids live in bondage. Hallelujah. And ultimately, spiritually, we don't have any fruit to offer. Because, listen, we become so consumed with taking and taking and taking, there's nothing to give. We become like a wilted branch with no fruit whatsoever. And what did Jesus say? They're meant to be burned. Meant to be burned. That's how sin affects us. So, because, or, because the tree of knowledge of good and evil can only produce death, why do we choose that sometimes? If I told you guys right now this tree was full of fruit that if you ate of it, your life would completely die. I don't know anybody in here that would run up front and be like, man, I want the first dib. Yet, let's be honest, church. Let's, let's just be real. No masks, completely authentic. We find ourselves around that tree more than we should. Do we really believe that it will produce anything other than more unbelief in our life? It won't. It can't. It cannot. It cannot produce anything worth anything. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Before I go on, we're going to, like, when I think about this tree and I think about all this stuff and what it produces, it makes me want to go home and take a shower. Just being honest. Listen before we go on and we talk about the other tree, my favorite tree, the tree that gets me excited, the tree that we should crave. Listen to what, listen to David. Y'all want to see a progression of the, the roots, a progression of, of sin? Listen to David. By the way, you know what's so powerful about this? 
Acts, it said this, that David was a man after God's own heart. Oh, my goodness. If I can stand before Jesus and he were to say those words, it would make me shake to my knees. If God seen me as he did David, in spite of David's sin as an adulterer and a murderer and all those things. Now, I don't understand it, but God seen his heart. Now, think about that. God said this is a man after his own heart. And listen to him. When, when sin got a hold of his life, listen to him lament and what he says, what sin did to him in Psalm 51. Listen to this. Sin's defilement. He says, purify me from my sins, and I'll be clean. Wash me, and I'll be whiter than snow. It defiled him. He's seen himself as dirty. Then it's sin's deafness. Watch what he says. Oh, give me back my joy again. You have broken me. Now let me rejoice. Hey, let me hear you again, God. Number three, sin's disgrace. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. David couldn't wash it off of him. He couldn't, listen, think about this. Satan kept reminding him, you killed that guy. You did this. The baby died because of you. And, And here's what he says to God. Don't keep looking at my sins. He was warring with this. Goes on to say this in verse 10. It sins damage. Create me a clean heart, O God. Renew the loyal spirit within me. He realized he was damaged because of sin. And then sins doom. Do not banish me from your presence and don't take your Holy Spirit away from me. Think about that. Do not remove your Holy Spirit from me. Do not remove the Holy Spirit from my life from what I've done. Sins depression. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. David forgot what it feels like to be Happy to have joy. And lastly, sin's defeat. And make me willing to obey you. See, sin always takes you farther than you want to go, and it leaves you in a bad place. And David, here's what he says. So, let's move on to the other tree. The tree of life produces some amazing stuff. First of all, when we choose of that tree, okay, the first thing that tree does is it gives us a life that glorifies the Father. Watch this. Jesus said, John 15, 5 through 8 says, yes, I am the vine. You are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them, I love this thing will produce much fruit. Notice he did not say maybe or occasionally or maybe so. Will produce much fruit. That's a promise. It's a guarantee. God cannot lie. For apart from me, watch that, you can do nothing. You're absolutely worthless apart from me. You can do nothing apart from him. He says, Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. But... If you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. Notice this last part. This brings great glory to my Father. Do you know why you and I were created? To glorify God. Number uno reason. Glorify God. To bring him the glory he's due. So, choosing from this tree It will be a life that produces glory for the Father. Number two, it's a life that glorifies the Son. Watch this. When the Spirit of truth comes, 
He will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but will tell you what he has heard. He will tell you about the future. And listen to what Jesus says. He'll bring me glory by telling you whatever he receives from me. All that belongs to the Father is mine. This is why I said the Spirit will tell you whatever he receives of me. Second purpose. We choose that tree. We choose life. Listen, our life will not only glorify the Father, it's going to glorify the Son. This is only made possible, only made possible, y'all, okay? It's by a life that's led by the Holy Spirit. Watch this. If you love me, obey my commandments. Right here. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and it doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives in you now and later will be with you. No, I will not abandon you as orphans. Isn't that a great promise? I will come to you soon so the world will no longer see me, but, will, but you will see me since I live, you also live. Now, I want to take you to a little sweet spot right here in this verse right here that absolutely makes my heart pound a thousand miles an hour. It's such a good promise, and it's this. I love this right here. Please catch this. When Jesus starts out, he says, if you love me, obey my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you an advocate. Look at those five words after that. Who will never leave you? Now, I love this because here's what I hear. This is what I hear. We all hear things like this. Yeah, Mark, but I sinned and lied. He'll never leave you. Yeah, Mark, but, uh, but, but I lusted. He'll never leave you. Yeah, Mark, but I did this really bad. He will never leave you. If God said he won't leave us, he's not going anywhere. Again, Satan is a liar. This absolutely works me over because, listen, our salvation is not based on you and I's performance. It's based on God's performance, and he says that we're redeemed and saved in spite of what we do sometimes. Now, that ought to make everybody get a little bit excited. He will never leave you. I want y'all to practice. Anytime you sin, I want you to think about that, to remember this promise. He will never leave me in spite of my sin. I'm not telling you it gives us a license to go around and just do whatever we want to do. That's not what I'm saying. But all of us, at some point, are going to miss the mark. Good news. This is why he's good news. He'll never leave you. Never, ever leave you. This is the second part of the promise. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into what kind of truth? All truth. Every single bit. That means if you're struggling with unbelief, the Holy Spirit's here to lead you into truth to help you believe. Isn't that good news? Listen, not partial truth. He's going to reveal all truth to you. Gosh, that's good news. And here's what we need to know. Again, I just bring this. When the spirit of truth comes, he'll guide you into all truth, right? Truth always leads to life and freedom in Christ. Let me say this again. Truth always leads to life and freedom in Christ. Notice, freedom True freedom, free from the bondage of sin. Freedom, freedom, freedom. The freedom that God created us to be. Watch this. Galatians, for you have been called. He's calling us to live in freedom. 
My brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. God has today called you and me together to live in freedom, not in bondage, not impressed by sin, not in gloom and doom. He's called us in freedom. And I don't know about you, but when I'm most free, I'm most happy. For what? Did God call me to be free for me to live the way I want to live? No, Paul makes it straight. Instead, brothers and sisters, look, we've been made free so we can do this. Serve each other. Serve each other. Hey, you know what your purpose today is? Glorify God. Glorify the Son. It's only possible through a life led by the Holy Spirit. And our, we are supposed to live in freedom from the lies of Satan, so we can better serve each other. That's good. We're a big family. Love, joy, peace. In fact, that's what he goes on to say. The tree, the tree of life, this tree produces this. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. When I look at this list, I ask myself every time I read this, and I think of the new, listen, or I, 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 I take a kid home, and a kid asks me, why, why did my dad, or why did my mom leave my dad? Why did my dad leave my mom? Why does my dad abuse me? Why, when these kids ask me these questions, and I go back to looking at this, I'm like, you know what? Our world needs more of this, love, joy, peace. Could we not use more peace? Patience, not one of my favorite words, just admitting. Kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Our world needs us to be free in Christ so the world can see him in us. And church, I'm going to tell you something, and we know this is true. When we are living in our best freedom in Christ, it's when people are compelled and drawn to Jesus. They want him. They want what you have. Because it's the most incredible thing in the world that we offer. It's him. Freedom. There is no law. So, This tree or that tree? When you wake up tomorrow, when I wake up tomorrow, in my mind, I kind of go back to the garden, and I'm like this. My feet hit the floor, and I stand up, and what if my mind would take me back to that scene on a daily basis, and God's asking me, Mark, which one do you choose today? You choose life or death? See, because I still think those trees are still talking. And by the way, I can't tell you I know this for sure. This is just my opinion. When they referenced that tree, I think that was a reference of Jesus himself. Here's why. Jesus said these words. I'm the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He is the only way we get eternal life. And I believe that was a representation of him. And why in the world we looked at the other tree 
instead of him. Why we still do that sometimes? It's because we believe lies. Don't believe the liar. I'm going to ask if the, um, the band come back come up now. As, as they sing here in just a moment, what I don't want to do is ask them to come in. I'm up, up here and then preach another 15 minutes. I don't want to do that. I do want to ask you guys to ponder some things, though. Can you move that forward for me, brother? It's not moving. Technical difficulties. Okay, so I asked the question, if you could go back to that scene that I asked you to imagine. So you're with God, and he gives you these instructions. Uh, what tree are you choosing? And let's, let's make it about today. If your best friend asked your spouse or your closest friends, would they say that your life produces more of that tree's fruit? Or more of this tree's fruit? What would they say? And don't be offended by that. We, we shouldn't be offended by that. We should be thankful when people look at us, if they see us straying, that they love us enough to tell us, right? Nothing frustrates me more when people don't get in my face and tell me, hey, I'm worried about you. I think one of the, I think a verse today is this. Remember what the Apostle Paul said in Galatians? I think it's, it's uh, chapter 4, 16, he said this. Have I become your enemy because I tell you the truth? Tell me all the truth you want to. Please don't leave me out there. We should desire that. So when you ponder that, we go to the next slide. Here's what I want you to think of while they're singing. I want you to name your sin. Because... I'm telling you, there's 100% participation in this church today that every single person in here that's breathing struggles with some form of unbelief. All of us. All masks aside, all authenticity up front, all of us struggle with something. And you know what? When I say that, our mind goes directly. We know what it is. We know what it is, okay? So watch this. I want you to name its root. Where does it come from? I've told you today, it comes from not believing God. And now that you know that, this is what I want you to ask. How does it affect you? And not only how does it affect you, but how is it affecting your family, your friends? Like, how does it affect you? And then here's the last question to think about. What would freedom look like? It, what a great question. Hey, what would freedom look like for me not to live in that sin anymore? I'll tell you what it looked like. Wonderful. Better than you can ever imagine. They're getting ready to sing Victory in Jesus. I can't think of a better song. Now here's what I'm asking you. While you're pondering these questions, when they sing this today, I'm asking you to imagine something else. That you are right in front of Jesus after a message like this and knowing he wants us to live in freedom. And I want you to belt it out to the top of your lungs for him.
If you are free in Christ, you are free indeed. I love y'all. Please ponder these questions. Don't let Satan lie to you anymore. Amen? You are overcomers, ambassadors, and Ephesians 2.10 says you're a masterpiece. And if you're a masterpiece, you ain't getting no better than that. Let me pray with you and they're going to sing. Jesus, you are absolutely wonderful. I pray as we sing, our hearts bow before you. I pray, God, that we understand that victory you gave us, Lord. We are not bound anymore. We are free. Renew our minds, God. Remind us of the work that you did on the cross and that your Holy Spirit, the power, you've given us the power, Lord, to overcome. As we sing today, Jesus, I pray it brings a smile to your face. We love you and praise you in Christ's name. Amen.